Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers and today, listeners, we've got a really great episode for you. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Um, I've got on uh, on Skype, I've got John Woodle from Space 48 and John's going to be talking about 10 myths of e-commerce and when John sent me over what he wanted to cover just every, at every point I, I I was chuckling out loud to myself because there's so much truth in what John's going to say but but before we get into that John just introduce yourself to the audience tell us who you are where you're from what you do thanks Kieran um, and thanks for having me on uh, on the show um, I'm John Woodall uh, as, as you said uh, I'm the founder and managing director of Space 48 and we're an e-commerce consultancy for retailers that are looking for fast growth and internationalization. Fantastic! And you, you I mean, you've done some some great work. Your your team, I know, we're the team behind the Charlotte Tilbury website. Which, when I was running an agency, a lot of our clients would kind of point to that as you know the 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 one to aspire to. Uh, and I think you know when that came out, gosh, that was probably that's a while ago now, wasn't it? Kind of is it two thousand and thirteen? Yeah, 2013, yeah, yeah. launched the first site, um, about September time, 2013. So. And, that, and that was a Magento site? Magento, yeah. So we're um, a Magento partner. We've been working with Magento, in, well, myself and my business partner, Tony, started out with Magento in 2008. So we're uh, we're old timers now, really, in the Magento world. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't looked at it before, I'd encourage listeners to, to go and have a look, because actually I think it's a, a real lesson in in clean execution, nice, clean, uncluttered design. Um, certainly one, one that I still look at. I know the team behind it have gone on to continually refine and, and improve it, which, as, as you'd expect, they, they would. But yeah, check it out. Yeah, definitely. I think the guys at Charlotte Tilbury have done a, a fantastic job of it, you know, seeing the growth of that business and, and being part of that, that journey that they've been on. Um, and feeling like, obviously, we've, you know, we've contributed in terms of technology and delivery on Magento. Um, it's something I know that you know we're very proud of as well. So uh, yeah, it's a cool story. Definitely, uh, definitely go and check it out. So <laughs> let's talk about these myths of e-commerce. First of all, where did this all come about from? There's a little bit of a backstory to it, isn't there? Yeah. So um, uh, I think you know, having been in e-commerce for the for the length of time that I have now, you you get to a point where you realise that the thought process that people are going through is is, is usually fundamentally what's wrong, as opposed to tactics or strategies that are actually being used and it was sort of born a little bit out of frustration of hearing the same things reoccurring again and again where people were taking a simple approach to perhaps what's a a complex problem so yeah um, just just really wanted to get my thoughts down on paper and help introduce a sharper sense of reality to the e-commerce world fantastic so let's let's kick off with the first myth john what do you think the first myth that uh, a lot of people still believe is out there in e-commerce land. I'm not sure on the title. Did we go with Did we go with ten e-commerce myths? We did we go with ten e-commerce myths. All right. Okay. So first of all, I've got a conf- <laughs> confession to make. <laughs> go on. So um, I think that um, blog posts that are out there that say ten e-commerce myths or five e-commerce myths, maybe sort of any numbers that. Um, that, that, that feel like a round number the first the first myth is that we've only got nine for you today so uh, you know don't don't believe everything that you read um you know i think we're, we're all sort of sentient human beings and we've got the ability to 
decide for ourselves what is what is right for our business. So um, the first one's a little bit cheeky and just a throwaway. Um, uh, I think that's great. I think that's great because actually, because we're all so obsessed with like content marketing, you do, and there's always raging debates on is an odd number or an even number a better thing to have in your list of things to kind of capture people's attention. Uh, and actually, <laughs> I think you're quite right. Sometimes it, it doesn't have to be odd or even. It just needs to be true. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> so let's 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 go into myth two then. Myth two. Um, so I think we put down here for myth two. We were talking about the platform itself. Yeah. So believing a new platform will solve all problems. Um, <laughs> so, but, but John, that's that's true, isn't it? Surely, if I get a new platform, like every, all the problems, all the things I hate about the old platform, would just be magically solved ov- overnight, and our and you know every every kind of goal and aim we have for the business will just happen. <laughs> it well, sounds easy, doesn't it? it yeah, it easy. does. Um, it, it, it must be true, John, because we're going to spend a lot of money on this. So you know, obviously, yeah. our dreams are going to come true as a result, right? Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> no, I think um, you know the, the 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 problem with this is that you know uh, by having the opportunity to implement a new platform, um, maybe it gives you access to some new features, and maybe it gives you the opportunity to to reset or perhaps even almost seen. I see some e-commerce managers perhaps reinventing themselves by starting with a with a clean slate, and I, I do understand the approach to that, but. We, we can't think that by making one decision to choose a platform, it's going to solve all of our problems. So I think what, what I, I, I see people get wrong here is that we're going to make a decision to go from one platform to another uh, and it will solve all problems. The, the mistake that's made in that is just people aren't really taking a, a, a holistic look at everything that's going on with their e-commerce business as a whole. Forget about just, you know, the platform, what's going on around that in terms of what do the customer, does the customer really want or what do we really need to do in terms of delivering logistics or what's happening with acquisition channels. There's many, there's many pieces to the jigsaw that we need to, to put together. And the only real way of understanding if we, we need to make that change um, or, or making sure, in fact, because it, it could be apparent that you do need to make the change, but making sure that you do the right things in terms of approaching that as a, a project is doing a very thorough discovery and understanding from your business and from your customers, what do we really need to do if we are making this move to a new platform? Okay completely agree with that and certainly in my experience new platforms well very often they're they're sort of rushed into because it's sort of new shiny toy syndrome and everybody wants the new shiny stuff and just believes all the problems are going to go away and so there's not enough work goes into planning and um, and mapping out what you want the system to do properly and if that that initial scoping if that doesn't go well if you don't spend enough time on that exploring not just what the marketing and sales team want but also what the rest of the business wants it can really well you, you sort of reap what you sow really and if you don't lay a good foundation at that stage you, the whole project's doomed doomed to failure and, and, and doomed to one of my other pet hates with projects like this which is project creep that's what we used to to call it when we we're building sites for people and 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 that would be you know you do a thorough uh scoping out and the client would agree to that and you'd start building and then you'd get get project creep with you know the marketing team would think oh we've just thought about this and can we do that before launch as well and and it's like well well, this isn't the right platform to do that or, you know, to completely need, need to throw everything up in the air again. And, and then that's going to impact on time, time scales and stuff. So, so definitely if you're, if you're looking at replatforming, spend more time exploring what everybody needs and, and kind of driving that, that through. Cause that, 
it can make such a difference and actually it enables this expert team you've got to to build it to to really deliver on what they promised rather than you adding in extra stuff and um just basically having to cope with the inevitable compromises that that creep in when you when you do that i always think about three p's and i think platform people and process so platform in terms of selection and doing a very thorough is this going to give me what I need in terms of the roadmap over the next, let's say, three years? Because it's going to be there for a minimum of three years. People, have, do I have the people on my team? And do I have the people that I want to work with from an agency perspective? And do we have the relevant skill sets across that team as you know as a whole? Because they will be very much like when we work with customers, we're really an extension of their business. So they have to be sure that they're happy working with us and you know the, the relationship's going to be very close and there's going to be some challenges and pain throughout a project as big as an e-commerce replatforming. And process is just understanding what's the right way of approaching this and can we can we agree that you know we've we've almost got a finish line that's a minimal viable product and we say that is what we're shooting for, that's where we need to be. Yes, there's going to be some change. But we're clear from the outset and we've got a, a good plan in place that we can we can deliver on. So let's move on to the next myth, which is uh, an, in the area of acquisitions. I'm particularly passionate about this. So um, I, th- I see this all the time, you know, retailers or e-commerce people believing that certain channels are not appropriate for their business or even just taking the same approach to acquisition that they would have done, let's say, five years ago whether that's with Google AdWords or email or whatever it may be. So the examples would be email marketing doesn't work for me or (laughs) I'm using the same approach to Google AdWords or Google Shopping today that I did five years ago. It's a fundamentally different place and it's going to be more competitive. Strategies and tactics that you're using today would have to be different um, to a certain extent than what they were five years ago. I completely agree with that. And actually, as as marketers, we all have our favourite kind of channels that we that we focus on and very often those yeah. can be influenced by who's in control of those channels and having success with them and, uh, and that's not always the best thing when when the market market moves i think it's been some really interesting things happening with with facebook um of late and uh, we used to get tremendous success through just kind of organic facebook posts but actually if you weren't watching the the the, the data you'd have missed the, the the fact that you know facebook moved to much more of a pay-to-play model yeah. And that can have a, a massive impact on your, your strategies and how you make that work. I, I had a client who actually called me in uh, once because they their business had dropped off a cliff. That's why they, they first got in touch with our, our, our business. And actually, when we looked at what they were doing, uh, they'd turned off their email, uh, <laughs> which, which is a bizarre thing to do. I'd never seen anybody do it. But what was really interesting, like they hadn't sent any emails out for two months. And when I asked them why they'd done that, they, they said, well, we looked at the analytics data and it, and it really wasn't doing much for us. You know, we're only getting a couple of sales per, per email. But what they'd failed to understand was that when you send out an email, you know, the, the, the results you get back in overlap into lots of other, other channels. So, you know, you could see a massive drop in, in their organic um, traffic, big drop in their PPC traffic, um, and also a, a, a really big drop in their direct to, to website traffic, um, which fascinated me. And it made me understand what, how big an overlap there, there is between, you know, a, a really key channel like email um, marketing. Yeah. And, and the actual yeah. the actual results um and sure enough they turned it back on at my recommendation and and things you know went from strength to strength email's an interesting channel definitely and you know you've got to also think about you know which device people are using to open that mm. open that email. Mm. And many certainly myself I, I open many of my emails on on my mobile and if it's perhaps something of interest or something that i feel i need to do some uh, research on 
um, I, I, I more than likely would take a look at it uh, on a desktop or with a with a on my machine with a larger screen so that I can uh, just just take in more information. Yeah, um, and you're not alone there. I mean, all the the industry stats that come out. I know Litmus do some uh, really good surveys on, on this, and the the number of people who browse and consume their email initially and kind of triage it through through their mobile devices is enormous. Uh, so, so yeah, and, and analytics isn't so great at, at measuring people switching between two different devices. It tends to see them as as two separate separate people. So, yeah, there's there's tools there's tools like um, well, Ametria, for example, uh, or um, Magento um, BI. They have a business intelligence tool which will actually help you tie together what devices people are coming from. So providing you've made a sale you can actually start to tie together what the user journey was not just in terms of on-site but by device so you can see that maybe the this person over here did originally open an email on a mobile but they later purchased on a desktop but in actual fact the original point of contact was over here on a mobile so you can tie together um, different devices uh, quite easily with 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 platforms like Ametria. So let's move on to the next myth, which is your your website doesn't convert into maximum sales because product pages take longer than one second to load. <laughs> yeah. And there's, that is one that I've heard. It's like, oh, well, it's not converting. It's because it's too slow. And I've read somewhere that you need to be loaded in a second. Why isn't that happening? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. It's... um. Look, the reality of it is that speed matters. You know, it does. It does matter. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't have a fast website and you shouldn't aspire to, you know, make it quick and be doing everything that you can in terms of infrastructure and code on site to make it uh, load efficiently. But it, it's not the holy grail that that people seem to run after. I think um, what what I usually see here is that speed becomes an issue when overall performance of the website in terms of sales is an issue. Um, so um, that 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 sort of someone searching for right here's one here's one problem that's affecting the rest of it. But the reality of there's many other moving parts. I'm not I'm not saying you you shouldn't do what you can with speed, but you know that that also comes at a cost. So the time that you invest making your website faster and faster and faster could well be time that's perhaps better spent on creating a new feature on the website that makes it more functional for the customer or time could be better spent on improving acquisition from Google AdWords or you could improve what you're doing in terms of your email journey. So I think it's just, should that really be a high level, you know, should that be a statistic that you're really monitoring? Yes, because mm. you don't want it, to, you know, you don't need to get too high, but should it really matter or should it, should it, does it really tie into the expectations of the business that the business have got of you? Because usually the, the expectations of the business would be tied to commercial targets, i.e. revenue and profitability through the website. So it can make a difference, but uh, I suppose I'm just trying to say, let's not obsess about it because uh, <laughs> it, it comes at a cost. It, it, it does. I think, there was a couple of things I wanted to share on this point. I've certainly seen, you know, situations where a particular device or browser version actually had a, a, a physical problem within the e-commerce yep. store that was, was blocking. And that's, you know, unless you're, you know, doing your, your due diligence and sort of walking in the shoes of the customer and actually, you know, going through and, and making sure your website does work on multiple browsers on multiple OS types, things like that can actually be quite a bit tricky to kind of weed out because you just see, kind of general uh, poor poor performance but it's worth kind of ch if you have a, a conversion issue check checking that the the other thing i think uh, john is is a lot of people could 
could do themselves some favours just by visiting the sizes of their images. Um, there's so many websites out there uh, when you initially take a look at them have you know literally hundreds of three, four, five megabyte image files. And it's just not necessary. You need to 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 be compressing those those images for you know a good good level of delivery and something like that really kill a website on a mobile. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that, that that's a that's a really common a common one that we see. You know, might be a marketing de- the marketing department is perhaps just you know without really thinking about it or or, or considered it uploaded a large banner or a large large image. Yeah. And, uh, all of a sudden, you've got a homepage that's like five meg, <laughs> and you're like, well, "Yeah, it's not going to be that quick." Um, you know, that's obviously going to really affect speed. So, um, um, th- th- there's, there's there's things that you can do to obviously guard guard against that type of type of thing. Uh, I think all I'm trying to do is kind of make sure that people don't obsess over it too much because the majority of people that have pumped the content out there that are saying that how much you've improved sale by X amount is the likes of an Amazon, let's say, mm. where they're they're playing at an elite level. And the majority of people that I would deal with, uh, re- reality of it is small to medium size, even enterprise size businesses. It's just that Amazon are off in the distance somewhere doing doing what they do. So there's just other other ways of um, improving overall site performance and revenues and profitability. Um, but yeah, you know, make sure you catch the low hanging fruit if you've got a huge image on your homepage. Um, that's that's making the page heavy. Then you know, clearly you need to do something about that. So moving on to the next myth then, uh, and I love this one. This one made me laugh out loud. Changing the way your site looks will improve the user experience. <laughs> that is such a common common thing that you that you hear. Maybe not always, you know, enunciated like that, but it's just kind of there in the background. Oh, if we change, it must be better. Yeah, you know, um, you've got to look at where the change is coming from as well. Uh, what I usually see here is a uh, change could be led by, you know, let's say someone who's uh, trying to do something different with the brand someone who's just trying to change because they want the website to look different there are there are sort of uh, there are already best practices in place of what you should do with an e-commerce website and just changing the look and feel doesn't doesn't necessarily you know improve user experience and i think many people that i've overheard have got caught up reading an article where they talked about changing the color of a button oh, or yeah. slightly slightly moving the position of a button <laughs> by x amount of pixels and you know these, these things can all make a, a small difference but all I'm all I'm really trying to say say with this myth is that I'm saying this I'm saying this as a whole anyway. We're all we've all got a very unique set of problems in front of us. I deal with many different customers that have got the same do- the same problems, but are also very different. So taking that into consideration and the twenty odd customers that I deal with, I know that they've got the same problems yet they're different. So they've got a unique set of problems to solve. So the only way of really getting to the crux of that and finding out what you should do for your website is being able to understand what what is the the data telling me so if i look at google analytics it's going to give me certain bits of information and i can read that and i can use that in terms of any redesign that i'm looking to do to sort of justify why i'm making these changes but then the one critical thing that i don't i don't see many businesses doing and it really surprises me and i think it's the it's the digital world that we live in is that we've stopped speaking to the customers mm. so you know how difficult is it to set up a, a user group or even just do some phone interviews of let's say a dozen customers who buy from you on a regular basis or even if you wanted to take it to the extent of saying look i've, I've got these different personas these are the different customers that buy from me yeah. i've done interviews of these customers and this is what they're actually telling me based on you know a specific user journey on the website which might be um, someone going from category page to product page to basket to checkout 
that's the journey that I wanted to track. Yeah. And this is the information that it's actually given me. So, you know, tying together the qualitative and the quantitative data to make decisions that are, that are based on more solid facts rather than I just think it should look different because it's going to make a difference. <laughs> I completely agree. It's kind of, there is a science behind it. You know, it's not, it's not like, I'm going to upset a few people now, but it's not like Feng Shui, <laughs> which I've always been a little bit dubious. I saw a brilliant stand-up comedian a while back now, actually, who was saying, yeah, my, my life's taken a bad turn. I've lost my job. My wife left me. The dog died. <laughs> you know, life really couldn't have gotten much worse. And then I discovered Feng Shui. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I realized that if I just moved my kitchen table slightly to the left, none of it would have happened. <laughs> I think I think that's, you know, very often we read these articles about changing color buttons and the results that, that transpired as a result of doing that or moving something, or making something slightly bigger. And we think, oh, that sounds an easy win. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. But actually, it's the uh, the hocus pocus equivalent of moving your kitchen table slightly slightly to the left and I, I, i'm a big fan of things now, any qualitative data you can get like you mentioned um getting customers to to give you feedback i'm, I'm a big fan of, of things like what users do where you can actually recruit people who will perform you know a set uh, agreed kind of route through your website uh, but you yeah. can recruit people that are you know part of the right demo demographic and certainly i highly recommend their their service i've used it uh, in the past the different brands that i've worked for and they, they, they kind of give you quite a guide guiding hand uh, if you've never done this sort of thing thing before and it's so so insightful and actually just spending a bit of time and and, and money doing that at the design stage to check that you know what you've come up with is is going to be a winner is is a real plus side you know, it stops you creating a really leaky bucket that you're going to spend thousands of pounds funneling people into. You know, plug those gaps before you launch, I think, is 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 a really wise strategy to follow. Yeah. And if you've got, you know, if you've got that skill set in your team to be able to do that, that's great. But I think that's, for me, another, it's definitely an area where you benefit from bringing in the experts to do to do something like that. Definitely. People who can that qualitative research for you and understand yeah. what do these users actually want. Um, we've collaborated with um, we do we do some of this in-house obviously as well mm -hmm. uh, but then one project we've actually collaborated with an agency out in Belfast called Fathom um, and, and they're that UX is their thing that's mm -hmm. exactly what they specialize in mm -hmm. so you know, seeing the sort of process that they take um, their customers through and the customers customers is um, you know very detailed and it really makes you realize just how valuable that area could actually be so making the right changes in actual yeah. fact a big difference but you've just got to take the right approach I, I think also it really helps having somebody outside of the project who's yeah. not involved or invested in any of the decisions or features to take a yeah. really objective view because um, you know if it's somebody in your own team it's it's not easy for them to say actually guys you, your baby you've created it, it's it's really ugly <laughs> that's a really hard brave thing to do but if you've got you know an external somebody they quite happily tell you how how ugly a baby is and, and what you need to do about it yeah i think you've got to be um uh if, if you if you're going to approach a project like this you're naturally going to be uh you, you know you'd like to think you'd be proud of your project but um to, to become a you know the a sort of champion of it you really need you really need to be able to bring people in people in who can you know you are going to allow them to critique what you've done and coach, coach you through it but also challenge you to to you know let you let you uh 
let you go on to bigger and better things. You know, you really, I, I, I think that's an important part of having the right team anyway. You know, I wouldn't want people around me that didn't challenge me personally. <laughs> so um, the next one is another favourite of mine, this next myth, that your big data tells you everything. And and I think the noise around big data has died down a little bit, thank goodness, because it was, it was, it reached a real crescendo or probably about a year or a year and a half ago um but but just 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 explore this uh, a little bit a little bit more yeah i think i think you've got to be extremely careful and you're right it was you know very fashionable uh, just over a year ago maybe 18 months ago and uh, you know your answer was in big data but there's some people out there that are much smarter than me that you really need to bring in to understand you know what what your data means and they would be able to create create some extremely clever models that that would show attribution models maybe that show you look this is exactly what your data says uh, that's still one aspect of it and what we, what we were saying on the last myth really is that you know we have to take a little bit more of an intuitive approach to this and we can actually go and speak to our customers and it still surprises me that businesses e-commerce businesses don't do this they're just not talking to the customer to find out what's wrong uh, or, or how they can actually improve their, their e-commerce proposition as a whole and those questions might not just be in relation to what's going on the on on the website but delivery for example delivery is a huge part of e-commerce we've just had a, a delivery arrive uh, at home this morning that I'd, I'd waited in for there's maybe a couple of things around that 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 particular retailer could have done that that would have made it easier for for me or us as a family um, and would have improved my overall experience. Great website, works really well. Shame that the delivery wasn't quite right. Uh, so just uh, if, if they were to pick up the, the phone and call me, I'd be able to give them that feedback and say, look, this is how it actually worked out in comparison to a, a delivery that I took at the weekend from AO.com where we had a, a new washing machine delivered. The service was great, really, really good. We got text messages to tell us when it was going to arrive and it was an update. And we were waiting and also got a Saturday delivery, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this other delivery kind of also interfered with work. So, yeah, just speak to your customers. I think that's that's a great in, insight. And actually, I do wonder whether maybe the, the drive and excitement over big data was that we – we all thought, oh, brilliant! We don't actually need to speak to our customers any, anymore. They've just the data will just tell us the answers. It'd be so much better to get that, you know, top level aggregated data. And actually, in, in reality, it's just not the case. It's so much simpler to just to speak to a even a relatively small sample of your, your your customer base can can give you hugely valuable insights that could, you know, make a, a tremendous difference to to the bottom line if you were to actually make some changes as a result and improve things, right? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, and you, 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 I also listen to, you know, when I'm in and around customers that I work with, certainly on their premises, you listen to the type of things that they're, they're talking about. And I think it's, I think I've heard it in a film somewhere as well, this, but they, they, they might be celebrating the number of followers that they've now got on Instagram or the number of followers that they've got on Twitter or whatever it may be. And it's this popularity competition. But what does that really mean? You know, it, it means something, obviously, because it translate into it can translate into pound to pound coins or dollars or whatever. But are we actually talking to those customers? Do we really know what it is that they need? You know, or are they just another like, or are they just another follower? Um, you know, going going that extra step to really understand your business. I think I think the one of the the great examples that um, that, that I I follow out there is a company called Zappos that are based in the US. Um, there's a the CEO is a guy called Tony Shea wrote a book called Delivering Happiness. And I think anyone in the the e-commerce world that's that's a book that's definitely worth while reading, and it's just his um, 
sort of, I guess, his philosophy around you know running a business and how he um, the culture that he's created and the customer service that he he offers is well, in my opinion, it's really really good. Maybe not out of this world, but the type of things that he's doing, the approach he's taking to 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 customer services, um, something that we can all learn from. I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Join us in part two where John and I will be discussing the belief that every e-commerce business can become an overnight success. We'll be exploding some mobile website conversion myths and discussing the strategy of shooting from the hip and not needing a plan. We also discuss how to identify if you are the problem your business is facing. Thanks for listening to the Digital Marketing Podcast brought to you by Target Internet. If you're investing in your digital marketing skills, take a look at our free benchmark skills test and look at the wealth of online learning we provide to help marketers get up to speed and stay up to date. Just visit targetinternet.com forward slash benchmark.